When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that's what's exciting is that it, it and then there's the promise that we made. I feel like we, I don't know if I made a different promise than other people, but the way I took it was we were going to promise to do, not be sellouts and we were going to mm-hmm. do do the right thing and we were not going <clears> to <throat> become numb. We were not going to become assimilated into a, a, the capitalist system that wanted us to just be robots. And I feel like pretty much most, all my friends did that. And then now they're out there in the world, like with kids or with um doing all different kinds of activisms or art. And, and like, I just hope that I'm continuing that as well. You know, I hope to be able to act in a bunch of different stuff now that the world's less transphobic. In some ways we were waiting us nineties queer people. We would never have imagined this moment, but when we were making up pronouns, like what should we do? Like Zezer, you know, we never thought that it would be legitimate in the mainstream. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Pepper and I am joined as always by the hardest working man in show business, Kevin McCracken. (laughs) Who's with us today, Kevin? <laughs> well, today we have Daniel C. And I am um, I am very, very excited to have you on the show, Daniel. I um I had been texting with your good friend Miriam here in California. Um Miriam, and, who was on the show? Yes, Miriam Stahl. Oh. And uh and I I don't know if you remember this, but uh we met at the Jawbreaker show at Gilman. Okay, you, were standing you did seem right familiar. Right yeah. in front of the merch table, and I was doing merch for them that night. And oh, that's right, you were doing yeah. merch. I was c- considering buying one of those Morton Salt uh, shirts. Well, we'll have to send you one. The <laughs> Jawbreaker Classic. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But um, let, I mean, we can jump right in. You sent me a great bio, and um, you know, I'm really glad you did because obviously the stuff online tends to be a little bit you know, not totally complete, but, um, I mean, really- Kevin, it's missing the most important thing in the whole world, which is that basement in Santa Rosa where <laughs> I saw thorns of life, <laughs> <laughs> which is all that matters to me. So, so you were there that tiny basement. That's like oh, the biggest yeah. fire hazard of my I life. Was crazy. <laughs> was yeah. Yeah. It was unreal. <laughs> that's one of my favorite shows I ever played. Actually. I love Oh, that. me too. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. that was good. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> so, Daniel, um, talk a little bit about uh, your early punk days. We love to hear sort of the backstory of how people got involved in punk so that we can then talk about how it influences your life today. But even like when bit. you were a kid, because I'm sure yeah. like you had weirdo tendencies pre punk, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, my parents were uh, eccentric artists and my dad's queer. And so I definitely grew up with uh, all of the great like 60s and and this perspective on music being like a revolutionary act um and then yeah I I I I mean I think that probably the first punk I 
heard I was pretty little because I was born in 73. So I know my parents went to see the Sex Pistols in 77 or 78, <laughs> I guess, in Hollywood. Um, Where were you? Uh, we, I lived on the west side in LA, like uh, Santa Monica area, kind of sure. at that time. Um, and so, yeah, and then and to my teen years, you know, my brother was into punk um, and was going down to Fenders and stuff, but I was a bit young for that. So it was probably like the, the easy entry was the Violent Femmes. You know, that was my first like introduction slowly into uh, my, my take on punk. And then, you know, and then it was... Uh, yeah, the subhumans, UK version of subhumans, and um, and then of course the LA bands, Circle Jerks, Bad Religion. That, those are the first. The first show I went to was Circle Jerks and Bad Religion and Recita, the country club. So did you want to play in LA bands shows. when you saw um, bands? I did because I played music. You know, I played guitar, but um, but you know, I didn't. I, I played with my brother. We played at home, you know, and stuff. And we had a couple songs. Like we had a song about Denny's that we wrote. as the first punk song I wrote was about Denny's drinking wow. coffee all night at Denny's, which is about all there was to do in LA for, for young people. But I, I soon moved up to the Bay uh, when I turned uh, almost 17. And mm-hmm. then uh, that's when I met Anna Brown, um, who's her, uh, she's a punk rocker um, and is in charge of Murray Bull's archive uh, at this point and an educator and a very cool person. And uh, she was a year older than me and our dads had been friends, or my stepdad and her dad. And so I asked her, hey, where's the punk shows? Because I couldn't figure out where to find the shows mm. because they weren't listed in the, um, like in LA, I would look in the LA Weekly or something, but right, they weren't right. listed in the paper. And she's like, you got to come to Gilman. So it took oh. me some months to find the punk shows, but thanks to Anna Joy, I mean, I mean, Anna Brown, I, I, I did find, mm. find Gilman. Amazing. Yeah. I want to just roll back a little bit because my my wife, um, her her dad and mom are both queer and she grew up, she's a little bit younger than us. You and I are about the mm-hmm. same age. What was it like in LA at that time as a child of uh, like queer parents? Because I know she struggled even in so-called liberal Marin County a little bit. Yeah, it was it was tough. I got the message early on to like not tell people in my class, but that didn't go well because I'm like, you know, not <laughs> yeah. the, the type that can hide stuff, you know, as kids, you can't, yeah. just because it would be hard for me. I mean, I was dealing with my own bullying stuff. So I think it was last on people's list, but I think it added to the atmosphere of the weirdoness of my family, including mm-hmm. like being like Wiccan people who would like, you know, celebrate pagan holidays. And um, my parents were very um, radical at that time. I'm, you know, I, I well, I guess, I mean, my first experience with it was great because I was four years old, three and four years old. And um, my my dad's boyfriend lived with us, with my mom. And for me, for kids, the more love, the better. So my dad's boyfriend at the time, Manuel, was living with us. And um, it was like one big family to me. And then when my dad had his longtime partner, who I would call his um, ex-husband, uh, they were together for 20 years. That was a very happy family experience. They had a house in Tahunga with a pool. They both worked at Disney in the uh, Imagineering. And we, we just had a great time. Tom was like halfway between us and my dad's age. So he was 23 and my dad was 32. And my brother was like nine and I was wow. five. So all those years were great, you know, I mean, and yeah. So, but at school, you know, generally at 80s LA, was very in the west side white um suburb uh, kind of up well segregated 
um, mm-hmm. formulated uh, whiteness of the suburbs was pretty, pretty heavy. You know, I mean, I had my friends and my cousins and, and my family, but it was pretty right wing. I would say like you could feel the Reagan-ness and the kind of assimilation yeah. politics, like the backlash against the radical 60s, which now we know was like a, you know, an operative thing from the CIA yeah. and everything to kind of create that atmosphere. But from my side, it was just like, wow, you know, you had to really try to be normal. And so yeah, that's the culture wars came. are very old. Yeah. That's where punk came in because it's just answered the questions like, oh, I'm I'm like this. I'm, I'm I want a different way of life and it's right. possible. And um, and, you know, it also answered the question of a bit of rebellion against what my parents were into. Um, right. Because what you can know, you do? We thought I mean, was so different, but it yeah. wasn't actually that different. Well, you grew up in it, what feels like an artist incubation chamber. And yeah. I feel like you grew up with a lot of things that were normalized that are only slowly kind of starting to kind of get normalized now, right? A little bit yeah. as far as like queerness and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I guess I should have thought about this before, but I hadn't. As a straight white guy in the suburbs, I had to like mm-hmm. un bias my like and I had to break down how I actually felt mm-hmm. right like I had to break down not being uncomfortable and break down like where all that comes from so for your perspective are you just watching the world going like like are you just waiting for the world as a young person to catch up I mean it's just a different experience like I had to train well, myself and you you already were there right you're already were well we're all in it anyway so all the kind yeah. of self-doubt and the questioning am I crazy that was a big theme which oh, I love the suicidal Tennessee song, yeah. um, institutionalized, it yeah. answers that question. Like, cause a lot of the time I still felt like, well, maybe I'm the crazy one. I mean, right. and that's like a, a thing that took a long time to work out and I only was worked out in community. And I must give props to my brother because he really was um, also always questioning everything and was really uh, inc- always encouraging. And we, we went on the punk journey together all the way into squatting in Europe and living collectively, everything. So um, luckily I had a great older brother that was uh, interested in, things outside of the 80s norm of LA. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So yeah. let's pick up at the, at, you got to Berkeley and <clears throat> started going to Gilman. <clears throat> and Gilman at that time was just such a unique occurrence in was the country. Was that 87, 88? What, what time were we talking about? Probably, no, no. It was, was early 90s, right? 90, 1990, oh. I would have gone. Or maybe it was early 91 when I first went. Oh, that's, that's the perfect time. That's right yeah. when I started going. Yeah. <laughs> Pepper. So so you you that's when you really started to get involved in actually playing music though. Yeah, you know, it actually was a really interesting experience because I mean I was playing music all along, but I, I wasn't in a band or anything. And then it, it you know, it's a kind of iconic thing, but basically uh, Bikini Kill came and played, I think it was their first show at Gilman. They opened for Tribe Aid and Nation of Ulysses and um Wow. Kathleen called all any girls in the audience. She said, "Is there?" And I, I guess I was seventeen at that point. Is there any girls in the audience who play instruments? Meet me out the side door. So I went out that side door, which later was is another moment in my life when I auditioned for my first band, waiting at that side door. But she took all of our addresses, and I think there was probably you know eight of us out there, and then I don't know how many, but a few. And then I got a package in the mail about six weeks later, stacked with Riot Girl fanzines, a spoken word album of hers, and their wow. demo tape. And of course, the fanzines introduced me to queer theory, uh, feminist theory stuff, um, stuff about being survivor of abuse, and then also the importance of like playing in bands. So I was very overwhelmed because I was living with my boyfriend at the time, and I was like. I, I didn't know how to respond, so I never wrote back. I got another letter in the mail, 
probably six weeks again later, like, hey, did you get that package? Have you started a band? Like really encouraging. And we didn't, I mean, I didn't know if she would even remember me. It was definitely just like a, a I didn't show realize thing. she was that proactive in She in really was. Creating. And, and I mean, I still have that second wow. letter. Like, hey, I hope you're playing music. Did you get that package I sent you? That's it's above that board. That's so above yeah, board. above board. Like real. And so, uh, you know, thanks to that. And then also just going to Gilman and starting to hang around with the people. I found out about this Grups audition um, from Jesse. Because at that time, Jesse... Lush just became a friend of mine as I was hanging out in the scene. He said, hey, we're looking for a guitarist to replace, replace Matt at the time, who was just focusing on Rancid. And so mm-hmm. I went and auditioned. I waited outside that same side door. On a Wait, Matt was the original? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't Yeah, know Matt. That. And then Deb was the bassist. I forget her last name. Ugh, I'm so bad with names. But sure. anyway, yeah. Matt and Deb were the bass and guitarists. They were looking for a new bass and guitarist. So I waited outside that same side door. I was so nervous. This guy was shredding in there. He's like doing some kind of crazy solos. <laughs> and actually my friend Bill, who um, I think he played in uh, oh, one of these Bay, Bay Area bands. Oh, my brain is a little bit slow right now with the band names. But anyway, he played in one of the older Bay Area bands and he showed me some rockabilly licks and I just studied for like a week and then I showed up in there I learned the songs and then I played and, and I got in so that, that's how I ended up going on tour and getting to like tour US and Europe and stuff and what was, that was what, really your awesome. first tour experience like well my first tour experience yeah we, we toured the US and we were kind of like paralleling with Jawbreaker who were also friends of mine at that time and uh so sometimes we'd be in the same town, they'd be playing a bigger show, we'd play in smaller, and then we'd meet up. Or there were other bands like on on tour at the same time uh, in the whole network of it. We didn't go yeah. all the way to the East Coast. We went up the Midwest, like up through Chicago up to like Minot. We played in Minot, North Dakota. We played in wow. a lot of great small towns, garages, um, clubs, you know, wherever we could. I, I did a similar tour around that time. I, we didn't, we, we cut through and went up to like St. Louis and... Yeah. You know, did did those those like smaller yeah, kind of suburb areas? What band too. were you in, Kevin? <clears throat> At that time, I was in Engage. Mm. So I don't I don't know if you remember Miriam and Brian Zero, um, but um, yeah. Miriam worked it up. Yeah, Miriam years. was yeah. A, a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. So so um, she was like the our manager basically for Siren because we would spend so much time arguing. Um, she would have to be like the mediator of the, of the band, but oh, we, Miriam, what a special person in this world. Yeah. I'm so glad I got to meet yeah. her. I yeah. met her at a vegan, at a animal rights protest the first time I met her. Oh, really? Um, in Ber- yeah, in they, Berkeley, we were protesting outside of the, um, science labs there. I have the photo of Brian getting choked at that. I was, I was there. Yeah. It must have been like 90 or 91, right? Did you yeah. say Brian Zero getting choked? Yeah, by a by a Berkeley yeah. police police it officer. It got heavy. It got really and the, heavy. And the, they remember the science people were laughing at us and yeah. stuff and pointing down from the balcony. Yeah, they they thought it was really funny and, when the when the um yeah. when the cops pepper sprayed a few of us. They were laughing and you know yeah. they, wow. they really they they abused Brian pretty badly that day. Actually, mm-hmm. oh, I never heard about choked that. It was really heavy. Hit his knuckles yeah. with like their batons to get him off the off the chain link fence. Um, yeah, it was heavy, but um, yeah. that's a, such a like a a really that that family like brought me into a lot of my activism personally as well mm-hmm. um especially around animal rights so there's a, there's another connection but um what a yeah what a fun time to be touring the US there was like that was when like the first edition of uh book your own 
fucking life was coming yeah. out and oh, like yeah. people yeah. were sharing all the contacts and like well, it was, Kamala, was, she was already like the booker extraordinaire. She had yeah, totally. bands like ever since the eighties. Like I think she booked when, when Miriam was in high school and they, and they had operation Ivy come in my yep. best friend, Miriam that we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, she was the one booking them. Um, uh, or maybe it was Crim Shrine. I don't know. I, I get like things. Crim Shrine is funnier. But <laughs> but Kamala did our. You know, she was our drummer, so she booked uh, Kamala from Kamala and Carnivores. So she booked our uh, everything and arranged everything, yes. which was great because I was still pretty spaced out. Seven, you know, I guess yeah. I was eighteen at that point or nineteen, and um, didn't have my stuff <laughs> so together. But I just had to show up and play, and it was great. It was a wonderful experience. And then I got to go to Europe, you know, and, and experience all of the. So squatting and like these huge squats that were going on at that time, all this, it was just, it was like a Pippi Longstocking dream or something. You'd be yeah. like, I can't believe this. Look at what they have. You it know? feels so immersive. You, yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. a lot of people aren't all in like that. Like for me, instance, mm-hmm. like I would be halfway into some sort of stable thing and halfway into some sort of art thing. But it sounds like mm-hmm. you just free falling through <laughs> yeah it was a great opportunity it's true again and, and we opened for we were on towards citizen fish so they already had like built-in audiences and mm-hmm. so then we could just be with them on um on a lot of our tours and, and, and uh, in the in europe and stuff so and well, we made and a lot of friends and my brother was our roadie so then he ended up staying so in europe he's lived here since then basically what oh, wow. I mean, what a great band to have sort of steward the tour too, because they were mm-hmm. always so supportive of like younger and smaller bands. Yeah. They always mm-hmm. wanted local openers on all their shows when they came to the U.S. and just like a really serious like the DIY ethic ran so deep with them. Um, mm-hmm. What a, I mean, just what a great experience. Like I, I the thing I think that I. <clears throat> that I kind of like that came to mind when you were talking about that was the absence of, of screens and social media on these tours. It was like, basically you were like either going to go out during the day and go to bookstores and record stores and cafes, or you're with your bandmates. And that was really your, you couldn't sit around and doom scroll. You know what I mean? You couldn't and, call anyone, really. No. I mean, sometimes you could collect call, but... Yeah, but, like, if you were out in the middle of nowhere, the chances of even having enough money on a phone card or whatever to call somebody were so rare, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's this kind of togetherness that um, I still really treasure um, to just be on the road in that kind of situation, you know, with just a map, no nothing online, nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you have the number of someone they said you could show up at their thing. It took a lot of like trust, you know, and that's the thing mm-hmm. I think we had in our um, larger, I mean, not that everything was perfect, but there was definitely a lot of like fellowship and trust and kind of working together to make these kind of things that seemed impossible to happen, like putting out yeah. records or it's unreal. And, like, yeah. And, and encouragement, you know, that's something that I always go back to and I go, wow, you know, there were just people like that Kathleen moment. I mean, it's iconic and everything, and it was her. But, I mean, she was doing something special, but it was, it was the same as Bill needing me to t- teach me um, the guitar licks or Jasper making a video for us where, um, from from uh, from Citizen Fish making a video for us or, you know, just helping each other out for the for the good of it, for the love of it all. And and I just, for me, it's like one of the most, it's, I think it's the most precious thing. I just feel so lucky that I stumbled yeah. upon this thing, you know. Um, the scene is kind of, that yeah. that scene is, you know, I don't know if it's, I, don't, I can't imagine another 
time or place in which one could like like me and my friend could just go hitchhiking and take book your own fucking life with us and have places to stay right yeah have, right. call the punk house hey i'm in town they're like oh cool punk come over and stay here Okay. that's magical like i can't i don't know if that exists now i, I hope it does in some form. well i will say like on the side of now the 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 kids that are kind of running gilman now and i say kids because they're just so much younger than me they could literally probably be my children some of them um are really amazing you know i mean they're the whole lineup before that jawbreaker show was all local yeah. like younger people and one of them is one of the bookers at gilman and he's just like a steadfast, he he respects the history of the place, but also is like, we're doing our own thing too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's it's just so amazing to watch that, like um, that sort of like, okay, we loved what you guys did, but this is, you know, we're playing our music too. And 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 like the fact that Jawbreaker was like, book whatever local bands you think are the best fit. Like, what a great oh, yeah. like way yeah. to come back and play a show at Gilman for the first time in 25 years. I mean, Gilman continues and and like for Miriam's students there in Berkeley, like they volunteer there. It's like, for me, punk has always been an intergenerational thing and it goes in every direction. And and I just like, yeah, I feel like the young, I mean, I I know it's hard to manage all the screen stuff and everything, but I feel like the people younger than me are showing up in a great way for punk, for queer stuff and for like radical community um, that also impresses me, you know? I agree. Let's yeah. let's actually delve into that a little bit because the time that you were in SF um and and Berkeley <coughs> um early on was like a pivotal moment in the queer community. I mean, we like as a as a as a region in the country, we lost almost an entire generation of men during that time of gay, yeah. you know, queer men. Mm-hmm. And including my my wife's father who who passed away of AIDS. Uh, you know, and I think that I hear people kind of, I hear ripples about it in sort of in my, you know, in my regular life. But I mean, I don't know how much that gets acknowledged as a whole in sort of the mainstream of America. And so we've got a whole generation of, of queer men that were lost to AIDS. Then we've got the one behind them that didn't have that mentorship coming up, you know, of Mm -hmm. like, you know, and so what you did, I know you did a lot of activism and continue to do. What was that like to be here in the in the 90s and having like act up out there? And, you know, I mean, all the stuff that was going on, it was a pretty intense time. It was intense times. You know, you grow up in intense time. You think, oh, this is just life. But when I look back, I go, wow. You know, when they say now is intense times, I go, well, you know, uh, when when we moved over to San Francisco, um Anna Joy, our singer, was already living over there. And so then I ended up with my roommate, Ula McKnight, moving over there. Um, so I could be around more of the queer. I mean, there were queer people at Gilman, but it was a very, a lot of my friends were pretty straight and sometimes had, it was a, you know, I did, we just needed space to be together with the other queer punks and do our thing. So luckily there was Epicenter and there was mm-hmm. Q-Tip, Queers Together in Punkiness, which is a collective running out of there. And they put on shows at Epicenter. Um, starting, I think in '94, '95, Miriam was a big part of that, and Iraya Robles, and and um, a bunch of people. But um, 
but uh, yeah, so to be able to be there at that time, it was like at the same time, a lot of celebration and discovery of ourselves and getting to chance to play and, and try on identities and names for ourselves and gender monikers and <laughs> everything, pronouns. But it was also like our friends were still dying. I mean, or very sick in the hospital or, you know, from AIDS and also later from other things like um, addiction and things. But um, so it was you know, it was a very intense and uniting time, you know. Um, I met with an old friend of ours, Sarah Flicker, who lived there at that time. And, and just in New York, we hadn't seen each other in years. And I just sat there going, wow, you know, taking care of our friends as they were passing or all of a sudden not being able to get, um, to see our friends because the parents would block them from us because they were against gay stuff or that their kid was queer. Or, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, yeah, like, a lot of uh, creation, making uh, photography, performative photography, drag, um, you know, music uh, festivals like the Dirty Bird Festival was huge. It was the first place I encountered also like um, space just for BIPOC people. At the time they said people of color and like it was a whole learning thing. So it's like, why is that important? And because a lot of our, it wasn't just a white scene, you know, at all. Like it was a very, especially the forward thinking, like more radical element, not radical, but radical or just yeah in a lot of the visionaries were um, people of color or BIPOC people um, involved in different kinds of activisms and also punk so it was yeah it was everything it was like we had these cheap places we could live together in community and we could be in one region together but you know there was also the tough stuff going on yeah Yeah. and so you know and I did lose my uncle to AIDS in 1988 my my uncle mm. um my uncle's partner who was mm. we called aunt steve but my uncle steve they had been together since the late 60s they were um, part of the movement with harvey milk they had the first mm-hmm. gay bookstore in the castro it was called paperback wow. um traffic and that's also they had a salon there and all this stuff and it was open i think for like 11 years and so it's like where people like armistead Maupin did their first reading like a lot and the women's movement and a lot of stuff going on and then it closed the doors. And I think it was 81, 82, as yeah. the entire Castro was shuttered down. So I was a yeah. kid, you know, maybe eight or nine. And then, yeah, people, I definitely grew up with, like, my parents, friends, and my family dying of AIDS. So it, yeah, it wasn't. And then, you know, now it's like 10 years later, it's early 90s, um, back in San Francisco. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I say about, like, the atmosphere that was definitely a huge part of what had just happened and was was still happening until the medications changed around 94 95 where yeah. people started living long you know longer yeah and now now there's a lot like for a, kids to deal with you know yeah i know it's like <clears throat> it's so sad too because that like it's almost like miracle drugs have shown up in the last you know couple of decades and that goes for other chronic illnesses as well mm-hmm. hep c um, you know, and it's, right. and I, I actually went through hep C treatment, uh, mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago. And wow. ha- had I Great. been diagnosed and I, I, mine, I had had it, I'd had it for 22 years and I didn't know it, you know? And so, um, <clears throat> and now it's like a 12 week pill and you're done yeah. and it's yeah. gone. And, you know, and I, I like, San Francisco especially was hit hard by hep C for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And, and because it was such a, uh, 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 an injection, you know, drug uh, sort of capital of, of the U S for many years and people just didn't know, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it got a little better when people became more aware of, of, you know, AIDS, but 
uh, Hep C continued to sort of, you know, just ravage the the attic community for for many many years. And yes, you know, I just, uh, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> we did when I was in Engage, especially we did a lot of work with with ACT UP and and um, you know the because we were on that more like you know direct action kind of course in terms of our yeah. just our politics and you know I think it's informed everything I've done since. And that's kind of where I wanted to lead this kind of filibuster that I'm doing right now is, you know, you've spent your entire life since that age in different forms of activism, um, concentrating on many of the same topics, but like really able to adjust your sort of, um, how you're educating people because you're a teacher as well and how you bring your message to the times. And, you know, I, I think it's a really good reflection of growing up in the punk community and queer community of the 80s and 90s. And, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing now, because um, our time runs really fast. We're already at a half an hour. And I want to fast. I really want to hear about because where you're at right now, when I reread your bio this morning, it's so exciting. Like you're doing such amazing stuff. And, and don't forget, Kevin, the last half hour of the show is just to talk about that one basement show in Santa Rosa. So <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, just to clarify, I'm not a teacher, but. I do feel well, like I teach and I, I am teachable. So, and you yeah. know, I'm in, I'm in, um, and I'm in an MFA program. So right. I, I, I guess just basically I decided to, I guess my life has just not been on the linear track. Like what was tracked to do in this amount of time, you're supposed to be here, there, whatever. I just basically stepped off of that with my punk friends and, and kind of just kind of, uh, built a, a life that was somehow uh, a different, track. So that meant that I went back to school in my mid forties, um, to, to go to art school. Cause I never really got that chance. Cause I was just working mm -hmm. and working as an artist and a musician, um, uh, pretty, pretty immediately. And so I was always learning like, you know, all the free school stuff and going to panel discussions and reading and taking classes at the community college and stuff. And that's always continued, but it's been really great to be in this program that I'm in and to Has be it? Is living. it, is it nice yeah. to find structure that you didn't have before? Yeah. And mostly just to be in community. So the program I'm in mm -hmm. is really special, uh, in that it's, it's a public academy. There's no time limit on it. Um, there's all different kinds of people and different ages of people, sure. um, uh, in the program. So it's not just young people. And it's also very, uh, diverse. Um, I mean, diversity politics is problematic, but basically there's people from different class backgrounds and different mm -hmm. countries, uh, also the global South in my class. So my cohort, it's pretty queer. It's very queer, very trans and very, but not only, you know, it's all different kinds of people. And, and it's just exciting. It's basically reminiscent of how I've, like you said, I just feel like I've always been involved. I mean, I, I don't call myself an activist because even though I am very politically engaged because I, I just have such respect for people who really are on the front lines, but I definitely am affiliated with and deeply aligned with, um, different social justice movements. And, uh, and I just feel like I keep learning. And so that's that, like the kid side of me that I think that punk always showed me and, and having elders like the subhumans guys and stuff like, um, or just all different kinds of queer people or vaginal cream Davis or different people you could look to and go, okay, I can keep being playful. And, um, and it can be serious play. Like it can be like along with my, my beliefs of, of, of collectivism, you know, I mean, it's not easy to live in collectives and I don't always, but I have spent many years of my life living and working collectively in terms of creating art and all these things. And, um, 
Yeah. So today I'm into that. I, I, I played this TV. I was on this TV show, which for a lot of my punk friends at the time in, in 2005, when I was cast on this show, were like, you're what? Like they didn't even have TVs, you know, it was before right. yeah, the yeah, streaming yeah. thing really. <coughs> for them, it just seemed like a bizarre turn of fate. Yeah. And for me, uh, I also, cause I didn't also have a TV at the time and I hadn't for 15 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, since I was a kid. Um, but it, it ends up that it, it was quite an intervention in terms of bringing um, this example of, I played the first trans masculine character um, Mm -hmm. on TV Mm -hmm. recurring. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is now there's people who at the time were literally children or young teenagers. And I'm, my face is the first representation of, of transness uh, of a trans mask person who they could possibly be or recognize in their, Everything else was like satirical and making fun or over the top. Or, yeah, I mean, it yeah. was it was problematic how it was written yeah. as well. But mm-hmm. I would just say that I really made the effort, which is something I talked with Candace Hansen about in this LA Times article, who's a punk yeah. rock drummer and drums with Alice Bags and everything, was just like, I really was trying to put gestures inside of there from our queer and punk scenes, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of, and how I spoke in articles, but also what I, if I had, if I could put things on the wall of the character or mm-hmm. anything, it felt like I could instill these secret messages from sure. our scene, basically from our yeah. um, punk and, and radical kind of community. Like for me, queerness will always be radical. I guess that's the way <coughs> to say it. So I'm having <laughs> well, so- a lot of fun just like making music, making art, you know, um, you know, fine art, as they say, um, yeah. you know, uh, and yeah, and then well, I, I got think, to revise think, that character. So, yeah, you know, that was the thing. And so, I, you guys probably saw Taylor come in and leave really quick. Um, yeah. she, her and her mom are a huge fan of that show. Like they, oh, cool. so when I told her that you were coming on the podcast, she, you know, so she tried to be stealth just now, but I know I saw that the, the delivery oh, time was, was well planned. I know yeah. um, I'll ever come back when we're, when we, when we wrap, but um, I will say uh, that, that when I say, you know, teacher, I mean that in a broader sense. And I guess I should have clarified mm-hmm. it when I said it, when you're, when you're able to use a platform as large as like the L word, which is a, you know, I mean, that was a huge, that show was a huge deal. Yeah. We, I don't want to, I don't want to like at all, like, like undervalue that show. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. And I love that article in the LA times. I think they missed the mark on your character mm-hmm. in many ways the first time around. And I'm not a critic and I'm certainly not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not my job to, to tell people how to write shows. I mean, but mm-hmm. it's so great that they brought you back to sort of like, to really kind of like, reintroduce this character in a in a really in a much better voice and in one that i think represents hopefully you a little bit more in your experience because it's such an important topic and people and this is something that i've learned doing the the other show that i mentioned before we started recording is that people have this innate ability somehow because of our overwhelmed society to dehumanize others. And we don't get to hear these stories in a way that is really the, the, the most important thing that I've learned is connection. And so when you talk about living in a collective and you talk about these, these characters that you've been able to play and, and the playing in bands and bringing a message of like, this is who I am to a broader public it's so important because we, then we get the chance to say, Oh, that's another human being. That's another person rather than just like dehumanize this whole, you know, life that we live. And so I just, you know, I just wanted to like call that out. Like 
that character is like really important. Like, in, I don't, I really want to make that clear to people that listen to our show. Like, it, it was a huge deal, a huge deal at that time. It just wasn't happening in Hollywood, you know. So I, you know, and thank you for doing it. I mean, it, it informed probably a lot of people out there. Yeah, I mean, for me, it always felt like a privilege to do it. I knowing how my elders had lived and and how how many of my contemporaries like to be able to do that. It did feel, and it was like it felt like a real privilege and I tried my best to do the best I could do. Um, but I, I think it, it's more evident to me now what a huge deal it is because I meet these guys who are now in their thirties who, um, or people they don't have to be necessarily trans mask, but definitely meeting a lot of men, um, now who, who, who say that I'm the first I'm the face of what they saw as their first possibility to be themselves. I mean, that's just an honor. And actually, like I always say, it doesn't really have much to do with me. It has to do with an identity, an idea, a possibility. And that's, again, the punk thing. Why I always come back to punk rock? Because for me, it was exactly that. It's about positivity and connection and possibility, you know, instead of just this nihilistic thing of like, fuck everything. It's like, you know what? It's fucked up world. Let's try to make something together. You know, hey, I got I work at the bagel shop. I'll bring some bagels to the show. Someone else, like you know, um, my other best friend besides Miriam is Aaron Elliot, who wrote the Compass fanzine, and that fanzine and his way of life. It's like it really exemplified to me like what's possible in all these years. He always has been that to me, and many other contemporaries. That's of, very astute. That's very mine, similar, you know? right? Because right. for me, as as someone, I've only had representation, right? Like my whole life, mm-hmm. I've looked on TV and seen me. But then um, I grew up in the burbs. And for me, Comet Bus was like, oh, I can do this stuff. I can do this. I can do that. I can start a band. I can go hitchhike. I can do all this stuff. It opened yeah. up a world for me that I did not know existed and kind of allowed me to kind of kind of do things that were outside of my own social norms. You know, yeah. it was a representation of something. It was the same way of like reading on the road or something, I think. Yeah. I don't have any another way to like exemplify what well, that's like for me, but it's yeah, it's like those zines that Kathleen sent me. I mean, it's just yeah. all these examples of like how can we exemplify it, that it's possible be to be yourself and to be cherished yeah. and loved and adored and encouraged. Like that's what I want to do always with whatever I'm making. You are, so, you did. Um, <laughs> so it's cool to see it to get this chance to go back and revise this character, even in a small gesture, like one episode, and go, okay, well. If I'm going to do that, these are the, they asked me what things would you need to put in place. And mm-hmm. I, I went right back to my DIY <laughs> ways. And I was like, well, I would like to have some say in the story itself. And who would be a partner? And um, how, oh, wow. how would it look? You know, and they, they really gave me some of that room to do that. And I wouldn't have been so bold if I hadn't had years of experience with my punk friends of just realizing that a, a small possibility, uh, like a tour around the U.S., is actually a huge possibility you know uh, in terms of liberation i mean because we're talking about liberation i guess that's why i get so excited about it all because yeah i mean i'm always learning more i do identify as a white um, settler like i i'm a a descendant of white settling people of european descent i have a lot to still unravel and work on in regards to all of that it's an ongoing process but we can do it all with like encouragement and kind of gentleness and kindness like and be bold you know um you know, there's a lot more to work on, I guess. Well, I mean, think, I, um, sorry, go ahead, Kevin, go ahead, Pepper. Do you think, Daniel, that you 
wanted to have a life that has all these different things in it and you pursued them? Or do you think you're someone that's open to doors and you see opportunities and you're just open to them? Like, did you want to be an actor or did that opportunity just present itself and you were open enough to it that you were like, sure. Yeah. You know, I think it's a little of everything, you know, uh, we're, t you know, adulting well is like, I started learning when I was 23 to like eat well and like exercise and do things in a certain way, no, still good. with the idea of being less, you know, not having health insurance and all this stuff. And like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess just trying to find opportunity where there could be, but I never was like, I'm going to be an actor. Although right. I did, I was in theater in, in, in Oakland at Laney college, like, 10 years before oh. that, but it's just that there weren't any roles for people like me. And that's um, where I met my other friend who brought me to Gilman, which is my friend, Sarah, who was in my theater class. I was like, Oh, there's the other punk, you know, and I asked <laughs> her where, you know, where she goes to shows and things. And so, um, yeah, I think, well, more recently, and I don't, haven't talked about it publicly that much, but I think in the punk scene is okay. It's good. I mean, I think it's good to bring it out is that I've been recently diagnosed with adult ADHD, which it would have been cool to know about beforehand, but it's been really liberatory because I've realized that so many of the ways that I am as, as a neurodiverse person um, comes to this kind of, uh, yeah, just thinking outside the box. Like um, I didn't really understand what the program was supposed to be. And so I was just kind of doing what seemed like the right thing. Um, and then, yeah, I guess it's been a, a not the most linear trajectory, but yeah, the, the acting thing, it came my way. Um, the confluence of events and uh i just try to make the most of it but then when i got the job for one year i was i hired my own publicist who's a punk rock um publicist uh, for music <laughs> nice. bands and i yeah. go let's let's because they didn't realize that it was important let's do art let's see if people want to hear the story and so from that is why i got more um years on the show so it was still that diy attitude and still going back to our community and of, of also people who think outside the box to to you know change the culture basically um and intervene and infect the culture you know yeah it's amazing i i uh i was thinking about like it's really interesting you mentioned aaron and i had some interactions with him recently um because of a uh like a t-shirt uh job that needed to get printed um and for were those that, the pinhead gunpowder ones yeah yeah. yeah, he he gave me one. Good. I don't know yeah. if you ended up doing it, but I did. I did. Yeah, and, um, they're great. I, I almost wore it to the interview, but I I, I think it's really. Hey, well, Kevin, just, I don't have a pinhun gunpowder shirt. What the? <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve at one two three four go records has all of them, but I can go pick one up. It's all right. I've got a couple <laughs> samples here in my drawer right behind me. They're great. Um, it's like a great T-shirt. Well, <laughs> the interesting thing with him, and I, I find this, and this is something I'm bad at, so I really love it in other people, and I aspire to it, is he would be like, uh, I'd say, okay, we have a digital press check at this time. And he's like, I'll be online for these hours, and then I'm off. <laughs> and he's like mm -hmm. serious. Like, if he's going to be offline starting at 6 o'clock, he will not email me back. It's He's done for the weekend. You know? It's so great, though. Like, I so respect it on so All many in, levels. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's something I aspire. It was, it was 
it was ridiculously frustrating as we're trying to dial in this really complicated print job, but it also was like, so I was so impressed. Like I was like, I'm jealous. Like I want to have a, a, a disconnected life when I feel like it. You? you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's about, it's exactly what we were talking about before about being on the road together in these precious moments, you know, mm -hmm. um, to really like recognize like what, I mean, we all have different needs, but I do love that about, Aaron and, and some other people I know who, who aren't just going along with the program, you know, they're one, they're mm -hmm. trying to think like how, I don't want to paraphrase for him, but basically I learned a lot from him about, about all this stuff over the years. And just as like another friend who you see, Oh, he's not necessarily going along with this thing. He's going to keep this space for his creativity, you know, because as mm -hmm. an artist or a writer, we have to protect it like a jealous Mm -hmm. um, you know, with yeah. like almost like this is my. I mean, you cannot yeah. break into this thing because mm -hmm. the world will want to break in. You know, um, with all of this, especially nowadays with all these. Apps and Speaking of, sorry, is that Aaron? Yeah, no, let's get him on. No. All right. So, yeah, I don't know if we covered all the things, but I mean, yeah, I, I could think talk so. to you I think all we for did. Hours. I think no, I think we did. <laughs> this I, is I, an amazing show. We're we're, uh, we're we're coming up on time, but I I just it's so. You know, I really just appreciate this just felt like such an organic conversation. This is what we love about this show. Like, I, I don't I don't, I usually have a couple things jotted down, but it always ends up that we just talk about whatever comes up. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your time. It's just it's super like, honestly, just it not only took me back to a time that I love, but it um, it really is inspiring. So, um, you know, I just, I, you know, because the right here right now is also incredibly inspiring. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, I can be as sentimental as the next person, but to me, it's all about like, it is that metaverse thing. Like to me, time is not linear. It's all happening at the same time. So when I was at that Jawbreaker show, I was with Miriam Kleinstall um, yep. and we were in the pit and some of her students were there um, <laughs> in there. And then we were all singing along and I thought, oh my God, I'm standing in the same spot where I was when I was um, 18 watching them play and it felt like it all the times were existing at the same time so yep. if some people look at talking about the past as if it's all this kind of uh, more um you know just sentimental thing but when you see someone like ac thompson when i hear his mm. uh interview with you all and i think of the yeah. time when we were in europe together we were at the yeah. um the anti um wto protests like in in prague in 2000 um and then also he stayed with us in like uh, we stayed in similar squads or things like that and i and then i see the work that he's doing for example today mm -hmm. of like all of tracking um, you know, all this anti-fascist work basically Nazi is continuing. Hunter. Yeah. And, and the same with like Miriam with her teaching or Aaron with mm -hmm. his books and his bookstores and on and on. And you both too, you know? Um, so it's like, I think that's, what's exciting is that it, it and it was the promise that we made. I feel like we, I don't know if I made a different promise than other people, but the way I took it was we were going to promise to do, not be sellouts and we were going to, Mm -hmm. do do the right thing and we were not going <clears> to <throat> become numb we were not going to become assimilate into a, a, the capitalist system that wanted us to just be robots and i feel like pretty much most all my friends did that and then now they're out there in the world like with kids or with um doing all different kinds of activisms or art and and like i just hope that i'm continuing that as well you know i hope to be able to act in a bunch of different stuff now that the world's less transphobic sure. in some ways we were waiting us 90s 
queer people. We would never have imagined this moment, but when we were making up pronouns, like, what should we do? Like, Zezer, hi. He, him, they, them. Like, we never thought they'd be, like, putting it in, like, you know, at Harvard, whatever, on their applications. Or... I'll come back. Uh, it's Taylor. You know, we never thought that it would be legitimate in the mainstream. I certainly right. didn't. I thought we were playing or we just doing our um, right. alternative community stuff. And now look, you know, there's kids growing up with all this possibility. And it's this playful nature. It's like serious play, you know. And the I, needle I wouldn't have moved without you. Yeah. The needle wouldn't have moved without you. You know Agreed. what I mean? But like, also without like, punk. It's like it's exactly. all intertwined. Exactly. It's these movements. I was talking to Boff Wally from Chumbawamba and his partner, Casey, who's a great friend of mine, Casey Orr. And they were talking. he was talking about um, – the links between like some performance group he saw in his youth in Northern England and like bread and mm-hmm. puppet in Vermont. And then later the stuff they were doing and like how that affected me to see Chumbawamba. And then, so all these ideas are like cross pollinating and, and beautiful. I feel. And of course, like, you know, that I've just mm-hmm. mentioned a few, but um, I do think we're continuing in a good way and I'm glad yeah. to be able to be on this podcast. Um, yeah, oh, I'm so glad, glad you came on. It's so inspiring. It, you know? You know, we were I, so excited. I mean, we had such yeah. a good time with Miriam too. Oh, I, you know, like I so desperately want, and then I, Aaron doesn't do any of this stuff, but I'm just like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way. Once in a while, though, once in a while, get him to come talk a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, but you know, it's it's like I just, yeah, this has just been great. We've had a really good couple of weeks on the show, and and you know, we talked to Jay Robbins yesterday, and um it's just been really inspiring yeah this is so inspiring and thank you so much for coming on um we are coming up on time kevin yeah uh i want to thank everyone for listening uh tune in next week there'll be another show uh daniel of course this has been amazing we didn't have time to talk about the only thing that mattered which was the thorns of life show in the basement (laughs) but we'll have to get you back on and have a show just about that because it was yeah (laughs) well yeah it's been a great like i said it's been a great um a great time thanks for including me in this and yeah. may it go down in history that i am an east bay punk and <laughs> yes. uh, a queer sf queer punk forever <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks for listening everybody Some streets are high.